Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hello, my lovely Betwixters. It's me, Kate Lister, here once again to make sure that you're not listening in to things that will, well, frankly, unsettle you if you are of a sensitive, nervous disposition. This is your fair dues warning. Fair dues, everybody. This podcast is of an adult nature. It contains adults talking to other adults about adulty things in an adulty way, covering a range of adult topics. And you, you need to be an adult as well. And if you're still with me after that little lot, well, then what can I say? I think we could be friends. (laughs) Let's do this. Picture the scene betwixt us. You are making your way down the cobbled streets of 19th century Halifax, Yorkshire. The Industrial Revolution is in full swing and people are hard at work everywhere you look. The air is rich with the smell of coal burning in nearby factories. Coal that's been dug from the surrounding areas, might I add. Through the crowds walks a short, very slim, confident woman dressed head to toe in black. This is Anne Lister. Self-assured, successful in business, and that coal that you can smell, well, she created the pits that mined it. And, as it happens, I mean, no one's really interested in the pits. (laughs) What we're interested in is the fact that Anne Lister is an icon of queer history. It seems that even at the time she was well known for it because all those people that you just passed working really hard, well, behind her back, well, actually to her face, they called her Gentleman Jack. Today we delve betwixt the sheets to explore the life and legacy of Anne Lister. What do her many diaries tell us about life as a lesbian in the early 1800s, in Halifax of all places? And what is the legacy that she has left behind? What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the button. E-R-A! Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. Welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. It can be really hard to get a proper insight into the lives of marginalised people from years gone by. Sex history in particular is really, really difficult to get first-hand accounts of exactly what was going on betwixt their sheets. 
Which is why it is amazing when an opportunity to hear it straight from the primary source presents itself. In the case of Anne Lister, her diaries, which she kept her whole life, which is a dedication I would aspire to but could never reach, but there are some five million words that she wrote down of insight into everything from her many, many love affairs to what has been described as the first modern lesbian marriage in a church. Although the church themselves would definitely not have seen it that way. Most of Anne's diaries are actually her going on about buying mutton from various shops or getting her boots rehealed, but no one's really interested in that. Somebody somewhere will be. Someone will be reading it thinking, all this lesbian stuff, tell me more about the mutton. But that's not what we're interested in. Anne Lister, coincidentally, is one of our most requested subjects. So thank you to all you lovely Betwixters out there who took the time to write in to request this one because you wanted to know more about this woman and her diaries, diaries that have been called the Dead Sea Scrolls of Lesbian History. Joining us today is Anne Choma, the lead advisor on the BBC One series of Anne Lister, Gentleman Jack, and author of Gentleman Jack, The Real Anne Lister. Who was Anne Lister? What was she like as a woman? What was she like as a lover? What on earth is grubbling? Well, I am ready if you are. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Betwixt the Sheets. I'm only talking to Anne Choma. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Kate. It's lovely to meet you. And I hear you're, you're a Leeds lass like myself. I am. I'm actually from even further north originally. I'm from Cumbria, but I've been here since I was 18. So I think Leeds has adopted me now. Are you a Yorkshire lass as well? I am. Yeah. Born and bred Yorkshire from Leeds. As a Leeds lass, a Yorkshire lass, we are talking about Anne Lister today, who is, I don't even know where you start with this incredible woman who was a Yorkshire lass, but how did you come to her story? How did you first hear about her? It's interesting that you say what you said just now about where do you start with Anne Lister, because it's an impossible question, isn't it? There's just almost too much to say about Anne Lister. I mean, for me, I, my journey started with Helena Whitbread's first book in late 80s, early 90s. And so that was my intro to Anne Lister. I got to know Helena very well. And we started doing little bits of research together. We started traveling and having Anne Lister adventures. And I was like everybody else's today. I was just obsessed with Anne Lister and just could not get enough of her. So the pool of people working on Anne Lister at that time was so tiny. I mean, Helena was leading the way. Whereas now there's a global community. It wasn't like that then. There's like global conferences on Anne Lister now. Yeah, there is. And there's online conferences and there's all sorts of things happening. But the intensity I had then, I can see it in people today. Yeah, it was a long time ago for me, but the interest, of course, as people know, is still here. Absolutely. And for anyone that might be listening to this who is sat here going, and who, can you give us like a sort of a potted history of who this person was and, and what the fascination is with Anne Lister. Who was Anne Lister? In a very, very, very few short sentences, Anne was born in 1791 and she died in 1840. She lived at Shibden Hall, which is a beautiful period house in the valley in Shibden in Halifax, just sitting on the outside of Shibden. And 
Anne's famous for writing her voluminous diaries in which she wrote about her lesbian sexuality. And what makes her unique is that part of that diary was written in a secret code, which she devised. And she was hidden from history for many, many years. She just politically, culturally, it wasn't her time. It wasn't her time to be exposed, certainly in the late 19th century when John Lister a descendant of hers who found the diaries and who was the last person to live at Shibden Hall of the Lister family and decoded the diaries. But since then, obviously, times 100, 200 years on, things have changed. Helena Whitbread came across the diaries and in the late 1980s and she started to transcribe. And since then, Anne's life has become global, basically, and many books have been written, plays, films, period drama, Gentleman Jack, that I was part of which has started a whole new phenomenon. When you say she wrote diaries, we're not talking about a couple of pages here. We're talking millions of words, aren't we? Like, I can't even remember how many volumes there are, but she kept this throughout most of her life. Yeah, we're pretty certain that there's in excess of maybe six million words the last time I was speaking to somebody. Wow. So when Angela Clare and I digitised in the diaries, we digitised about 7,200 pages. The thing about Anne's diaries, because I've read bits of them, is that <laughs> when you come to them, you go in thinking, oh my God, this is a Regency era Yorkshire lesbian who had loads of money and was like, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be so tantalising. And most of the diaries are things like, went to Halifax to buy some mutton. I had to get a new heel on my shoe. And like, it's mostly that. And then once in a while, there's just a few lines of just where she goes, lesbian. You do get big sections of the diaries where it is pretty much dire. It's really just about everyday stuff. And it is oh, about her going about her business. It's really quite dull. And I think it, if you look at the earlier diaries where she it was with Marianne Lawton, I think they're heavily coded. Those periods in their life then, they're, they're just like, it's just solid code, a lot of it, because she was going through so much trauma. And then you look at the later part of her life. and I've just been reading the wrong bits then. Well, she reinvents herself, Kate. And so basically from 1832 onwards, you know, she meets Anne Walker and things change in her life. And it's more about building her empire. And so there's a lot of business in there, there's a lot of stuff about coal and just about establishing herself in, in the business world. And so it's pretty much, I mean, there is fantastic sections of code in there, but there's a lot of other stuff as well. She did say that about her journal. You know, she says, in these pages, I can see the good and evil of my life. Wow. It was for everything, that journal. It was the loyal friend in a way. Mm. I think what is particularly striking about, well, there's a lot that's striking about Anne Lister's diaries. But for me, it's the fact that when she's talking about the fact that she fancies women, it's never confusing for her. It's not like you would imagine it to be. She writes, I am attracted to, can't remember the exact quote, is I love and only love the fair sex and in return I'm beloved by them. She's really confident with mm. this sexuality. It's not shy. It's not something... Well, what do you think? Do you think she ever seems troubled by it? Because I was really struck by the fact that she's just like, yeah, I fancy chicks. For me, I mean, it's my personal opinion, but I don't think she struggled at all. I think that's what makes her so unique. Mm. And actually, that's what makes her really modern to us as, as lesbians, yeah. as a lesbian reader, is that she had this enlightened concept of who she was, of the self. And she managed to sort of merge public and private spheres so that she didn't have to be anything other than 
who she felt she could be as a lesbian. Obviously, the word lesbian wasn't around when she was a woman, but I think it's those elements of her life that make her modern to us because she was so self-assured. She had this enlightened concept of who she was. If we think about her in terms of having any doubts about her sexuality, I think she knew that she always had to be discreet. She just couldn't really go out there. Technically, in her head, she married three women. You know, she married Eliza Range, she married Marianne Lawton, and then she married Anne Walker. So she still lived her truth. She still owned her pain and her trauma. You know, she did all of those things that we might do today as modern women, but within the confines of Georgian society. You said that that she knows she's got to be discreet, and she does because she's writing in code. Like, she has to kind of be secret about it. But the other thing that really surprised me about the diaries was that it doesn't seem like it was that much of a secret because people knew They knew enough to, I think at one point they're shouting at her in the street, they're calling her a Tom, and they do call her gentleman Jack or Captain Tom. And so even though she's receiving abuse for it, which is terrible, but that does suggest that people knew about this, which I thought was quite surprising for that time period. I think she couldn't escape who she was because of the way she looked, so she presented differently to other women. She was so masculine. I think so when she walked down the streets in Halifax, this, this in small industrial town where people really didn't move out of and there was great poverty, how eccentric she would have been, how unusual. You know, I don't know if you've been to the Shibden Valley Cape, but it's probably not changed that much since Anne was here. I mean, certainly, you know, the Shibden Hall, there's lots of the houses that she owned as part of her estate still here. I, I live above one of them. You know, I can step out of my cottage and see... Shibden Hall and we can see Beacon Hill. So, I mean, the, the landscape is still the same, but obviously the population then was much smaller. So this really unusual woman, this completely eccentric woman who dressed in black is going to be presented very differently to people who are just going about their business and trying to survive in a world that was really, had everything stacked against them. But the strange thing was, you know, when she decided post-1832 when she was going to settle down with Anne Walker and she'd suffered a heartbreak with Via Hobart, she decided, and she often said this, it wasn't just at that time, that Halifax was the place that really knew and understood her. You know, she'd refer to Halifax as they are my own people and they understand who I am. Wow. She obviously felt somehow, felt secure in this small place called Halifax. She felt ultimately that this was her home. This was her spiritual home. Wow. Of all the places in all the world. Halifax. Of all the places in all the world, it kind of has that pull, actually, to be honest. It does, doesn't it? Halifax has sort of keeps its claws in you and somehow <laughs> kind of moves on to this idea about finding a place where you feel that you can live truthfully. Yeah. Because although she travelled a lot and she always wanted to think that she could be with somebody that was a really high-bred person, but I think she came crashing down to earth after Via Hobart and realised that actually that's not everything. That isn't everything about life. It really is about just living in the moment and doing what you do best. And she was doing what she did best in Halifax by building her empire. When you said that like she's eccentric walking through Halifax, mm. what are we talking here? Like You could like transpose us back to 1820-something when she's walking around Halifax and she's building a coal mining empire, which is already quite unusual, and she's a landlord, and she's really outspoken, and she's a lesbian. But what does she look like? What would have been the apparition walking towards you? I think she was about five foot three, five foot four. I can't quite remember the statistics. And she was 
just over eight stone. So and she was very slim. And I think Mariana... It's are, a little dinky thing. Yeah. There's a bit in the diary where she talks about Mariana describing her having kind of like, you know, male hips and virtually no breasts. You know, she very flat chested. Of course, we know that she wore black and she wore a tiny hat. She didn't wear a top hat. That was just for dramatic purposes in Gentleman Jack to make her stand out. <laughs> but I think in terms of going about her business in Halifax, she would have struck a chord. You know, she would have just stood out and wearing her great coat. And some of the things that she did, you know, I mean, like when she was developing a coal pits later on, she went down a mine and came out filthy. She went down a few from what I've read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that right middle finger did travel quite a lot, Kate, you know. <laughs> We got her into some trouble. We should talk about her love life, though, because there'll be people listening to this going, stop talking about the pits. We want to know, yeah. like, who was the first grand love of Anne Lister? Who was it? Again, subjective, but for me, it's always going to be Mariana. It has to be Mariana Lawton. Okay, tell me about Mariana. Well, she met Mariana, I believe, around 1810 or 12, but Mariana was part of the Tib Norcliffe social circle. Mariana was the daughter of a doctor, and she was from York and part of the Belcom family. But in 1816, she broke Anne's heart by marrying Charles Lawton. And it was kind of like the longest goodbye because really their relationship didn't finish physically until 1834. But, oh, God, the pain, the pain involved in that relationship. For me, it was just the intensity of it. On paper, everything Mm. should have worked. The universe said that that relationship should have worked. Physically, they were fantastic together. Mentally, they were well-suited. Mariana was incredibly clever. You know, she was an intelligent woman and she could really spar with Anne intellectually. And I just think it was that moment in Anne's life where she met somebody who she really, really, truly wanted to live and have a life with. And because I live so close to Shibden Hall, I often think of the pain she went through when she was sat there in that blue room writing the diaries and feeling so lonely about not being able to be with her. But of course, Mariana's circumstances were so different and she chose to marry a man because of circumstances and social circumstances. But there were times where she actually left Charles Lawton. and the idea was that Charles was much older than Mariana. He was going to die, he was going to die soon so they could be together. Nice. Because that never <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't die. But there were the couple of times in Mariana's life where it was a marriage convenience. He was rich. Yeah. What did he get out of it? I mean, did Charles love Mariana? Was, was he aware of the fact there was an affair going on? Yeah, he was. He found out and he intercepted one of their letters. And then I think in the letter he read that, you know, they were hoping for his early demise. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, I mean, that was a bit of a body blow for him, wasn't it? Just knock my microphone out the way. I'm just shocked. (laughs) Yeah, that made things very difficult for them for a long time. But the funny thing is, of course, Charles Lawton knew that Anne was never going to go away. So they kind of found a way to understand each other. In some respects, you know, Charles Lawton was probably controversial thing to say, but he's actually quite an enlightened kind of guy because he was a worldly enough guy to know that, you know, they were sleeping together. And in fact, when when they went to, the three of them went to Dublin together, I think in 1826 and had a brief holiday there. And that's just a fantastic episode in the diaries because, you know, it was almost like they shared a bed and he was somewhere else, you know. You'd just love to get all three of them together, wouldn't you? And just properly Dr. Phil it and just what on earth is going on? Yeah, the thing is, Kay, I, I kind of look at their life together and I think there were a couple of times where Mariana left Charles and wanted to come and live with Anne. Wow. This was like quite a few years after they'd got together. 
and there's been a lot of pain and anguish and upset and turmoil. And Anne said, no, she, she sent Mariana back. There's lots of reasons why that might have been the case. But, you know, the main one, and I think it's something Helena Whitbread says, is that she'd grown so much as a person by that time in terms of ambition and where she wanted to go in life that she didn't like the idea of having somebody else's wife. It was almost like the shame of it would have been not good. But I think, looking at it now, wow. I think, Anne, you made a mistake there. You should have taken man. <laughs> yeah, you should have let her come and you'd have had an amazing life together. What was Mariana risking by leaving Charles? Well, she was risking a lot because, I mean, certainly there's big questions over inheritance in terms of from the Belkin family. She was going to get nothing, which is why she had to marry to free up potential money for the rest of her sisters. That's my take on it anyway. But she wanted to leave because she was unhappy with Charles. Miserable for a lot of time. But I think at first, you know, she liked the idea of the big, beautiful house that she was living in. It's a really sad case, but I, I just think it was sad that, even sadder that Anne just at that point said, you know, God, she's done this. She's actually left him. Come and be with me. And I just think it was then the, the longest goodbye. And I do believe that Mariana truly adored Anne Lister. Again, it's controversial, but I think if you read across the years and, and especially read up to 1834, where it all culminates into abject pain and horribleness, it's just one of the greatest love tragedies, I think. I'll be back with Anne Choma and Anne Lister after this short break. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free 
at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Sing, muses. Sing to me a history of Olympus and the deathless gods who govern earth, sea, and sky. That is Zeus's command. It's the Ancients from History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host, and every month on the podcast, we're taking a deep dive into the Olympian gods. None of them are as simple or as single-faceted as we've kind of reduced them to in our heads when we think about the gods of the Pantheon who do one thing each. With world-leading experts, we'll be telling the dramatic story of who they are. Aphrodite was the goddess of love and sex and passion, and specifically she was considered often to be love itself. Their myths and their meanings. Hephaestus was already there, and that he split Zeus's head with an axe in order to liberate Athena from Zeus's head. And how they've influenced the course of history. Imagine ourselves back in the footsteps of people who are trying to explain and understand a world around them. A world which is not fair or just. That gets us into absolute key facet of how to understand the ancient Greek gods, which is that they are not good people. Join us as we explore some of the most fascinating deities history has ever known. Listen and follow on the Ancients from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. There's no doubt in how much they absolutely adored each other. And it's so sad that it just couldn't happen. But tell me about Anne Walker. Who was she? Because one of the things that you hear about Anne Lister is that, you know, it was the first modern lesbian marriage. But her relationship with Anne Walker is a little bit more cynical, it seems to me, than that. I'm going to defend Anne Walker and I'm going to defend Anne Lister because in terms of what you've just said, Kate, because... I think, you know, we go through periods of our lives, don't we, and we, and we reassess where we want to be and what we want from life, yes. and and especially yes. as we mature in years, shall we say. And we know from the diaries and from Gentleman Jack and from books that have been written and essays and all sorts of things that Anne wanted to reinvent her life post-1832, and so she set about doing that. And we want to sort of say as much in praise of Anne Walker's relationship with Anne as I do with Mariana's relationship with Anne, because they were coming at okay. different points in time in Anne's life and offering different things, and it doesn't devalue either of them. Okay. Anne Walk was the one that ultimately wanted to commit to Anne and moved into Shibden Hall, and so she did. I think the mental health issues that Anne Walker had impacted massively on their relationship and threw it into doubt many, many times. She knew that there was going to be troubled path ahead if she continued her life with her. And of course she did. I mean, they travelled together and sadly Anne died, but who knows what would have happened post coming back from Russia. You know, there's this accusation thrown at Anne Lister that I mean, she wanted her for her money. I, you know, I've, I've said many times before, I don't... I've heard that. I don't really believe it because, you know, there's a point that in the diaries where Anne says, give me mind rather than money. You know, I've heard that Anne Walker was like second best. I don't believe Anne Walker was second best. I think she gave Anne Lister a great sense of security, not just financial security. She obviously did offer that. But there was a sense of purpose in Anne Lister's life in the sense that she knew that she had her wife there at Shibden Hall and that meant security and that meant comfort that she'd never had before. 
And the other thing I want to say, Christmas 1834 is a famous episode in the diary where it's the thing that had to happen between Annalisa and Mariana. They had to have a full stop in that relationship. And it happened in December 1834, where Anne goes to have Christmas at Lawton Hall and Anne Walker's left back at Shibden. And it's basically to finalise things. And they end up having sex. And Anne's full of remorse. Annalisa's full of terrible remorse about it. And Mariana feels like she's had some kind of victory, but it's a bit of a pyrrhic victory for Mariana because she knows it's really, that's it, it's finished. It's my theory that I think Anne Walker knew what was going on at Lawton Hall in Christmas 1834. And I think it shows you the stature of Anne Walker's character that she permitted that. That's my feeling. There's just some little hints in the diaries that suggest that Anne Walker was really playing the big person there. She was showing great emotional maturity that she allowed whatever needed to happen between Anne and Mariana to happen. I like that reading of her more because it's easy to view her as this kind of very frail, very sickly person that was almost held hostage at Shibden Hall by Anne Lister, who just wanted all of her money. So I'm much happier to think of them as lovers. Yeah, I'm offering an alternative, Kate. I like your alternative. It's my take on it. And I think there's a lot of good things to say about Anne Walker's relationship with Anne Lister. It was certainly problematic and difficult. Yeah, and we know she was a flirt and all that kind of stuff, but, you know... <laughs> the big, the big Yeah, the big moments in her life were really big and really, really real and often painful. Speaking of the real moments, like I said, they're described as having the first gay marriage, but obviously... Gay marriage wasn't a thing back then. So what happened? What did Anne Lister and Anne Walker do that, to Anne Lister's mind, we're married now? What was it? What happened? And this is another, I mean, everything is my take on this and people will disagree. But in Anne's mind, Anne Lister's mind, they had a ceremony at the Holy Trinity Church in Goodrum Gate in York. When I say ceremony, literally, they just attended a church service. It was a Sunday service. It's mentioned extremely briefly by Anne in the diary. And it says, you know, I prayed for her in token of our union. And then she says after that, in the same passage, that I doubt if Anne did the same for me, kind of. So it's it's (laughs) all a bit... (laughs) I know, that's the reality, though. We have to read that. Was it more in Anne Lister's head that this was a marriage? Can you call it a marriage if the other person doesn't know they've got married to you? Well, I mean, there was an exchange of rings before that, of course. Oh, was that? Right, Okay. Yeah, there was an exchange of rings and it could not be a legal marriage. It was impossible, but Anne Lister did everything in her power to imagine herself as wife. And so there was an exchange of rings. There was a Christian ceremony that they were both in attendance at. They both took the sacrament, extremely important for Anne Lister, and prayed in front of God. So to her, that was her marriage, as good as it could have been at that point in time in her lifetime. They also exchanged pubic hair, didn't they? I quite like that bit in the diary. Yeah, they did. I mean, that was a common thing, you know. It seems to have been, doesn't it? Like, that's quite, yeah, that was quite a romantic thing to do. Yeah, I think she referred to Anne Walker's as her golden lock. I'm not sure. Could be. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, a little memento, I suppose. I suppose mementos go, Mm. it's pretty unique. But it is, isn't it? One of the most interesting things that I've learned about Anne Lister, and maybe I've got this wrong, was that, right, we're going to get a bit graphic and gruesome now, but if I can't do that with you, who can I do it with? But (laughs) Anne Lister had a venereal disease that she'd contracted from Mariana. Yeah. So she didn't like to be touched sexually. So she did all the action. She was the giver, never the receiver. 
Yeah. She contracted VD. Today, I think it would be gonorrhea, but Charles Lawton gave it to Mariana. So Charles... Boo Charles. Yeah, Boo Charles. Oh, and it actually changed Anne Lister's life. It was... All of their lives were blighted by that horribleness of trying to find a cure. But she was cautious about what she did with people when she knew that she was in the throes of that horribleness of that VD. But in terms of not wanting to be touched by women, I think, you know, that was more about her expression of her sexuality. She was butch and she she wanted to remain kind of like the lead in the relationships sexually. So, for example, when uh, Maria Barlow, Parisian, touched her breasts, she didn't like that. She said, this is womanizing me too much. So I think we need to separate out why she might not have wanted to be touched or whatever because of a disease. That makes sense. As opposed to how she would operate normally within relationships sexually Mm. i always think she felt guilty about potentially giving it to tib and and then she thought she'd given it to ann walker and yeah it was really awful things i remember reading an extract when mariana came over to halifax and mariana was in such pain because of this venereal disease that she couldn't walk up the old bank and ann had to push her up because she had such pain pelvic pain So it really was horrible, you know, and then trying to find these cures for it, which were just hideous and having to use syringes and, you know, just horrible. Do we know if Anne Walker contracted it from Anne Lister? There's a moment where Anne thought she'd given it to Anne Walker and I think she referred to it as the Whites, but I think they assumed then that hadn't happened. They really did go through the mill, didn't they? They really did. Yeah. yeah. You sort of forget, don't you, about what it must have been like back then before antibiotics, before any treatment, that when you contracted a disease like that, that was kind of it. That was, that's that now for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it says a lot. I mean, we, we know so much about female sexuality and, and lesbian sexuality because of Amnister. And because she wrote it yeah. down explicitly that we know the kind of sexual practices that she had. You know, we know that they were taking risks. Well, you've got to tell us. You can't tantalise us like that. If you were going to go to bed with Anne Lister, what would you be <laughs> in for? What what kind of night would you be expecting? I'd expect a good time with Anne Lister. I, I, said, I put this thing on Twitter recently <laughs> and I said, I asked this chatbot, I was in stupid mode one morning, and I asked this chatbot, would Anne Lister have been any good in bed? And it came back with all this stuff, you know, <laughs> this, this robotic stuff about you know how we can't pry into people's personal lives and all this kind of stuff and we have to be respectful but I felt that she gave women a good time sexually because she was so assured Mm. herself sexually we know about grubbling and about fondling and about things like that god yeah that word grubbling yeah tell us what that means grubbling well I mean I understand grubbling to be sort of like heavy petting sort of feeling you know Mm. sort of bringing a woman bringing herself to orgasm or bringing another woman to orgasm Mm. But beyond that, you know, we know that she practiced oral sex and we have explicit extracts of her with Mary Valance mm. when she was at the house party in Langton Hall. So we're thankful to Anne Lister that she shone a spotlight on what was happening between the sheets, Kate, in the 1800s. But that's amazing though, isn't it? Because like, where else are you going to get that kind of information about what people were doing in bed at that yeah. time, let alone and, women with other women? Yeah, it is amazing. And... I've said it before in other interviews, I've done that with Saran Jones when we were doing research for Gentleman Jack in series one and I met Saran and the early discussions we had were about Anne's sexuality and about sex and we felt that it was really important that Saran got to grips with 
how, how Anne was sexually mm. and what she did and the practices that she engaged in with other women. Of course, we had this fantastic material to go from from the diaries. Nothing was imagined or made up. It was just all there. Nope. I think she was so self-assured on Lister sexually. She was active from fairly young, you know, I mean, she was exploring a body. She was masturbating. She knew what gave her pleasure. So then she could pass that pleasure on to other women and, and was confident in doing that. And thank God she did and then wrote it down. And then wrote it down, yeah. I think it's interesting going back to Mariana Lawton. I think that period of her life, when you read the diaries, is full of code and she's hugely sexually active with Mariana. Mm. And then you see the transition as she gets older and it becomes in the diaries. It's not that she's not having sex with Anne Walker. It's just that somehow, you know, other aspects of her life are taking precedence in the diary. So it's more, again, I keep calling it building the empire. But I think, I mean, obviously when you're younger, it's, it's always very different, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Then you get older and you've got to open coal mines and go well, travelling around. Well, that's it. You've round. got to do. You've got to... <laughs> You've got to lay foundation stones and build casinos and things. Absolutely you do. Yeah. And then the sex gets slotted in somewhere in between. <laughs> a bit of grubbling. And you have been amazing to talk to. My final question to you, or I could just sit and talk to you forever, is, because this is a tricky one, because everyone who studies Lister has to grapple with this. They come to the material thinking, there's the most incredible person, and she was, but she's also a bit of a dick. Like, you can't get around it. Like, there are points of it where she isn't a very nice person. And that's quite difficult (laughs) when you read it because you want her to be lovely, but you kind of read it. And there are points of it where she's downright nasty. How do you deal with Mm. that? Do you like Anne? Okay, I'm such an apologist for Anne Lister. You're asking the worst person. I'm (laughs) going to have to dig deep into my little pocket of dislikes of Anne Lister. What could there be? I think she, at times, you know, when she spoke to servants and things you know I sort of cringe a little bit but I think that's just the way it mm. was then wasn't not saying it was right true but then she had great loyalty as well to some of them she has a great sense of how to behave with people and how to not behave as well at the same time it was just such a, a divided split character and in, in socially I think when she was with her posh friends of course you know she knew what she had to do to impress people But I think in terms of like, you know, building her empire and building pits and sinking mines and things and the people who worked in those mines, she's been criticised for that because children went down the mine. But, you know, children went down on Walker's mine as well. I think, you know, we're all a product of our time, aren't we? This is true. You can't judge her from 2023 perspectives because nobody would survive that test would they you know i go back to that first thing i say okay about you know in these pages i'm aware of the good and evil things that i've done mm. you know these pages represent that about me and you know this enlightened concept of self that she had i think she was aware of her own failings yeah she would always pray to be better a better person and when she broke a woman's heart you know her own heart was broken as well and she would dissect those moments in her life and think gosh you know I'm, I'm, why why did I do that you know why why am I this kind of person I'll know better in future I'll know how to conduct myself better but of course like all of us she kept on making mistakes and kept at times yep. not being a nice person I know I said that it was gonna be my last question but my last last question why do you think that she resonates so much with the modern audience? Why do you think that interest in Anne Lister has exploded in the last few years? What is it about this woman? 
gosh, it's a question that is so mm. difficult to answer. She just lived her life as truthfully as she could. Yeah. And she took no shit from people, did she, on the story? She took no prisoners. <laughs> no, she did and, not. Um, I think she shows people what it is to be brave and to have courage. Absolutely. Especially people who are struggling, perhaps today, even now with her sexuality. She's a beacon of hope. And I think, you know, that's why she's made such an impact in, in the world. Absolutely. Oh, and you have been wonderful to talk to. And if people want to know more about you and your work, an analyst at where can they find you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter, they can find me on Instagram. And give the book the full title. Gentleman Jack the Real Analyster. Thank you so much. You have just been a delight to talk to. It's been lovely talking to you, Kate. Really nice. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you want us to explore a subject or if you just want to reach out and say hello, then you can now email us at betwixt at historyhit.com. To wet your whistle of what's coming up, we have got episodes on everything from Shakespeare's sex life to the history of breastfeeding all coming your way. This podcast was produced and mixed by Stuart Beckworth. The senior producer is Charlotte Long. This podcast features music from Epidemic Sounds. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Where can you hear about the history of a lifetime? The Times has a new podcast about the lives that define the age we live in. Each week, through the Obits pages of The Times, we bring you the stories of scientists, politicians, pop stars, athletes, and many more. What they did in their lives, why they did it, and how they did it. Your history, available wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.